Our culture doesn't do well with endings. We certainly do not do well with death. Our culture doesn't do well with that. But there are many endings other than death. And our culture really doesn't do well a lot of times with the concept of endings because there's a finality to it in our cultural mentality versus saying this is a step to something else. This this is an opportunity for a fresh beginning. This creates space for something new. Chris Chavez, a.k.a. The Thick with Two C's, powerlifter, muscular, a sexy bad boy, former cocaine dealer, and single because his fiance walked out on him three weeks before the wedding because she just couldn't take him anymore. Tristan Blue, a.k.a. The Finn, a.k.a. Twigs on Rust, standing at 4 foot 11, giving blue balls to your friendly neighbor, giving the meaning of skinny to a whole new level, looking like... The kid my uncle touched, looking like the rapiest zoofish fart I've ever seen in my life, Mr. Blue. And together we make the Thick and Thin Podcast. Howdy, beautiful listeners. This is Tristan Blue, and with me is... Chrissy Pooh. And we are back with another episode of the Thick and Thin Podcast. Our guest for today is going to be a personal friend of Antonia's and mine, as well as almost a mentor figure. His name is Craig Lounsbro. Craig has a lot of awesome accolades and achievements. Uh, amongst those would be being a licensed professional counselor for the last 31 years. He is also a seven-time author. One of his books is what is going to be the subject of today's podcast called In the Footsteps of the Few. There, let's see, he also has broadcasted for a syndicated Christian radio show for a couple years. He has a podcast that is out there on Spotify amongst other platforms called Life Talk, which pretty much helps put good things into people's brains in a very concise amount of time. And uh, he's been a youth pastor, an ordained minister. You'll, you'll want to put your thinking brain on for this one. Just like the rest of you guys, Chris here uh, did not make the interview because he's a slacker. I was working. <laughs> eh, yeah. So he got pulled into a work emergency, so unfortunately... He couldn't make it for the interview, so you will be hearing a lot of my bearable but beautiful voice. Yeah, we're going to talk about Craig's book, um, his influences, subjects like passion versus conviction, how we think in boxes, and how an end can really represent a new beginning. So buckle up, enjoy the interview, and hopefully it helps you out in some way. Any last words, Chris, before we uh, don't hear you again for almost the rest of the episode? I don't. It's also going to be my first time hearing it. I'm excited. All right. Buckle up and have fun. Bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, with me is one of the guys that I would consider the wisest men on planet Earth, Craig Lounsbro. He is somebody as... I've mentioned in the intro is a personal friend of mine and my fiance has made a great impact not only in our lives but in the community as a whole yeah i don't know how many glowing things i can say about you man but uh other than that welcome to the show and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us because i know you do a lot 
in your life and you have a lot of service that you give to people, a lot of time that you dedicate intentionally. Mm -hmm. So uh, I understand that this time with you is very valuable. I just appreciate from the bottom of my heart that you're on here. Well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words and uh, appreciate the privilege of being here and uh, being an asset to your listeners as well. So thanks for affording me that privilege. Yeah, no, absolutely. During the intro that Chris and I did, we'll list out all of your accomplishments and all the cool things that you've done with your life. The thing that's neat about you, though, with with me is I've known you probably, what, a little over a year now at this point. And I feel like in order for me to properly do you justice with all the things that you've done, I need like a study sheet, like like a cheat sheet. So it's like I'm in school all over again. (laughs) <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I appreciate the privilege God's afforded me to do all all the things I've done, but certainly there are folks that have done as much or more than I have. So, but I do appreciate your comments. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think the thing that I appreciate and I hope by the end of this episode that our listeners appreciate as well is not merely just the accomplishments that you've had in your life, but the man behind those accomplishments and understanding you know, who you are, how you got to that point, because usually somebody that lives a purpose-driven life such as yourself doesn't just stumble upon that by accident. There's a lot of intentionality. There's a lot of great influences, Mm -hmm. a lot of wonderful people that I'm sure that came along in various stages of your life that, you know, helped you create the products that you are and continue to develop to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there've been a lot of people uh, along the way you are, you know, anybody is really a product of many things, but certainly one thing you're a product of is the people in your life and the people that have walked with you. And some of those people were there for the long run. Some people showed up for a little while were gone. But and I think part of this journey is really drawing from the people of our lives and let them contribute to our lives in whatever way that they do that. And I've been privileged to have a lot of folks come along in my life and contribute to who I am and what I've done. So that whole journey has just been... Um, well, it's been a mix of a lot of things, but it's been a mix of a lot of people that have contributed in a lot of different ways and always be grateful for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I 100% agree with that. And before I do record the intro with my friend, there is one thing I have to run by you on this note. All right. And, you know, a lot of times when I was a kid, right, I would uh, have fun calling my parents old. I think seasoned is a little bit better, but I think that in a lot of ways, being old or seasoned, if you will, is treated almost kind of like as a jab or an insult. But I sincerely think that that's only the case for people that have felt like that they haven't done everything or even like near the amount that they've wanted to in life. But when you've had so many influences in your life, so many years of this, of not only your professional background, but the journeys and endeavors that you've had in your life, I would almost have to think that it's almost a compliment because God has blessed you with enough days to live long enough to do all these things. Mm-hmm. The comment of old, you know, that's a, in my mind, more of a cultural thing. Yeah, you, you age, everybody ages. But it's about it's about refinement. It's about growth. It's about maturation. Going back to your word, season, right? So age implies deterioration in a lot of people's mind. When we associate some with age, we associate deterioration with that. When really the interesting thing is the human mind learns right up to death. 
when your other organs are shutting down, your brain is still learning. So you have the capacity to learn and grow right up to death. So when people say age, to me, it's like opportunity. It's, it's season. As you said, it's garnering wisdom and knowledge and all of that stuff. And so it's a journey that really adds to you every day and makes you better every single day. So aging or old uh, in terms of deterioration is really more of a cultural mindset, I think, versus the reality of life and living that you can live a rich, full life and grow right up to the day you die. <clears throat> and that means also you have more to contribute to the people around you in the larger culture. Yeah, no. And I think that you are a shining example of that. The value that you add to people in general, also your local community, everything in that nature, which the cool thing with that is anybody on planet Earth has the ability to do that. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing to have the ability to do that and quite another to actually walk that out. And one of the things that we're going to be discussing today is almost more of a deep dive into one of your endeavors, which is being an author, writing many books, but the one that we're specifically going to discuss today is in the footsteps of the few. But before we do get to that, more diving into these types of topics, one of the things that was very neat, and I do notice that a lot of authors do do this, it's cool to read the influences section at the very beginning of a book, mm -hmm. because it is mm -hmm. it offers insight more than just what the author has to say on that particular topic. It almost offers a little bit of insight as to who they are. And so mm -hmm. one of the two groups of people that you really alluded to in that were your parents and your kids. So going back to what we were talking about in terms of your influences on your life, you know, I'm trying to sit there with your, with your parents, imagining young Craig. It's very hard for me to imagine because <laughs> I was... Long before I around, but what would you say the biggest impact your parents had on you as as a young boy growing up and becoming a man? What what do you think were some of the uh, valuable lessons that they taught you that helped you carry into a lot of the things that you've done even up till today? Well, I, I, I can answer that by give you a little background. Both of my parents were World War II Depression era. People, uh, my father was born in 1923, my mother was born in 1928. Um, they both went through the Depression, then my dad served in World War II. But the interesting thing about both of my parents, both of them were the youngest, and in both cases, their biological fathers were alcoholics and left the family. Uh, in fact, they both left the families in the midst of the Depression, leaving my grandmothers to actually have to navigate the family through the Depression as a single mom. Uh, my 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 father would talk about walking the railroad tracks looking for coal that had fallen off the trains in order to heat the house. And my mother would talk about actually breaking up furniture in the winter to burn it to keep the house warm. So this is th this is the dynamic they came up in and they came up through. And so what that did for them, it just gave them a real appreciation for life, a determination to live life, uh, to, to face the challenges and the obstacles and to. Um, they exerted or they exhibited this independence that obviously came out of that era of stepping up and getting things done and doing it independently if necessary. So these were people that grew up in a very difficult set of circumstances, which most of us probably can't even fathom. And they went forward and they both made their lives work. So they came out of that and they lived very productive lives. So I think that determination is probably uh, the second thing that they taught me is you, you just look at a situation 
And it's not, can I do it or can I not do it? The, the issue was, I'm going to do it. And if there's any question, it's the how I'm going to do it, not the if I'm going to do it. And I think that's what they, they taught me. But probably the most profound thing was their walk of faith, that their, their belief that God had taken them through the Depression, through the war, through the 50s. Uh, there were other dynamics that happened to them that they had to walk through that were pretty life altering, but their faith in God to walk them through all of that. And, and one of the things I can remember, my mom, my mom was always adamant about tithing. She always was adamant about tithing. And we were a one income family and my dad was a blue collar guy for a while. And we didn't have the money to tithe, but my mom was adamant we were going to tithe anyway. And she would write a check and my dad would say, Don, I don't know how we're going to cover that. But all those years, God showed up every time and gave us everything we needed as a family. And it's those those examples of living out a faith in front of the kids where we could sit there and watch things happen that it was it was it was it was hard to imagine how this was going to work, but God made it work anyway. And to watch that over and over and over in the lives of these two people right up to the day they died was remarkable. And that kind of stuff leaves an impact on anybody, and it certainly left an impact on me. Yeah, that's awesome. There's a lot in that story, a lot that, you know, as you mentioned, like the first thing that comes to my mind is picturing myself in those types of situations and realizing how I don't have to face those much because of the hard work of people like your parents and, you know, the generations before us to work through those things, through their faith, make things better, set an example, establish those really mm -hmm. great core family values that Absolutely. obviously have had a trickle effect on you and that I've also imagined had a trickle effect on your kids, which leads to, you know, if you flash forward in time and talk about how influences got passed to you, now it's almost a transition of how those influences go from you you know, to the next lineage of your bloodline. You know, I I think it's really, really awesome to see when parents really champion their kids and give them mm -hmm. the tools that they need to succeed. I think that it sounds like you were a product of that. I'm certainly a product of that. It's probably got to be pretty cool as somebody who's thinking about being a parent here in the next few years and what have you. I always imagine... Mm -hmm you know, the cool things that my kids will have the ability to accomplish and the amount of pride and joy that I'm going to have in those accomplishments. So for you, as you yeah. passed down that legacy onto your own kids, what are some of the cool things that they have done in their lives? And what would you say is the thing that makes you the most proud as a parent? <clears throat> well, I think <clears throat> when we we're talking about my kids, yeah, you pass on this stuff to your kids. You pass on what you learned. You pass on the character traits. And not only that, you you model this stuff for your kids because uh, you are your kids' greatest example. So you live this stuff out in front of the kids. And we obviously talk about it, but I'd much rather live it out because that's more real and that's more powerful and that's more life-altering, right? So we live this out in, in front of my kids, and I work to do that. And and obviously, you're diligent in, in living out these principles and these values and these attitudes in front of your kids. But the interesting thing to me and the reason I dedicated that part to the kids was the kids took that and they took it beyond what I, where I had thought they would have taken it. And, and at their ages, they took that beyond where I was at their age. And so my own kids at their age are already outpacing where I was at their age. And so they were able to take what I was able to give them 
and walk it out farther than I walked it out when I was their age. And to me, that's just amazing to watch these two kids take that and run with it and do more with it than I did with it. And if I walk that out into the future, into their future, you can only begin to think about what they can accomplish when they're already ahead of the game. They're already ahead of where I was at that time. What does that mean for their future? And I think what it means is some pretty cool things for them. Yeah, and even drawing it out even further of what it could mean for your grandchildren, your great grandchildren, all that, all of Absolutely. that, how it compounds and builds on itself, and mm -hmm. having mm -hmm. multiple generations. Um, I hear a lot of people talk about generational curses all the time, but what I don't often hear about enough is the generational blessings, so to speak, of. Mm -hmm. having these examples building upon them and stacking that generation after generation. So that way they are able to take it further and further. And that's uh yeah, that's really cool. And it's awesome that you're living that example. And I think in a world starved for that, it's something that becomes even all the more valuable. <clears throat> yeah. The world is definitely starved for that kind of thing. And the, what's, tragic is the world is starved to the point that it doesn't even really recognize it anymore. So you've got these examples, these ways of living that you obviously exhibit by the way you live. And our world has so detached itself from so much of that in so many ways that they don't even understand a lot of what that is. Now that can be viewed as tragic, or you can view that as opportunity. I prefer to view it as an opportunity to present to people maybe what they never thought of before, a direction they never thought, a way to live their lives that they never considered. And so to me, that's opportunity. And I hope my kids are able to take that opportunity out as well and deliver that to people and change their generation and their culture. That's the hope. Anyway. And that's part of that blessing, right? Is there's that legacy piece where this carries for generations beyond your own. So that's what I try to do. For myself, whenever somebody shows me something that I may have not realized before, as you know me, I'm a very kind of what I would classify myself as an analytical type person. Oh, yeah. And mm -hmm. one of the things that will really blow my mind is when, you know, I'm trying to think of 18 different ways to fix something. But my dad, who's an expert at fixing and building things, is just like, well, why don't you just do this? And it's like, my mind, mm -hmm. my mind's blown. It's it, it really simplifies mm -hmm. it. And kind of taking that out back to you know, the examples that you set and generational blessings with your kids and your kids' kids and what have you. It's, I'm not alone in that feeling. When you get your, when you get your mind opened up to new ideas, it can be challenging, but it can also be very refreshing at the same time. You know, I think it should be a goal of as many people as possible to expand that thinking for as many people as possible, better the community and better the the planet that we live in as a whole while we're here but i was just going to say we're too constricted in our thinking we we kind of embrace cultural norms and we all march to the the beat of the same drum and think the same way and we get in these boxes and i think we really have to ask and you're saying that you got to ask the larger life questions be willing to step outside the box and look beyond kind of our own limitations and understand are there things or principles or ways of doing things that are sitting right in front of us but we don't take the time to look at them I, I think that, or to say it this way, that change, broadening people's view, broadening people's understanding of life begins with us. That we do that first, and then we lay that out there for people as a means of broadening their vision, and we hope they're captivated enough by that 
to be drawn, not only be drawn into, but start that kind of thinking on their own. Thing that's fascinating about that is even though you hear all the time that in a given particular moment in time, most people may not be prepared for that. But at the same mm -hmm. time, the cool thing is, is that it doesn't really take that many people to do that, to really make a massive difference in the mm -hmm. way that we live and mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of almost like a double-edged sword of like, it's unfortunate that not enough people open up their eyes, but it is fortunate in the fact that not that many have to in order to make a real difference. That's correct. Absolutely. So just be one of those people. I definitely can say that a lot of the effort of this this podcast is to achieve that and to speak to many different people, many different walks of life from many different perspectives. And um, I'll say it here in case I forget to say it on the intro video. But if I say it on the intro video or the intro recording, if you will, and I say it again mm -hmm. here, and it's a good reminder, a lot of these types of discussions that we've had have honestly influenced the origination of this podcast and trying to make an effort to do that in ways that speak to many different people. So in a lot of ways, I actually do give you credit for um, the origination of this idea of this podcast. And so the audience gets to meet uh, Daddy Craig, if you will. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. You know, it's, it's the, the beauty of what I do is I can throw out ideas to people to kind of stimulate their thinking and help them kind of grow and reach the larger culture in a productive way. But I, I can only give the ideas like you and I have talked about this, but then you got to put legs on this thing and you got to make it walk. And that's what you did. And so the credit really goes to you to taking an idea and, and let it and, and refusing to let it be just an idea and turn it into something that actually works and will actually impact people's lives. And so kudos to you for doing that. You know, there's this interesting psychology where um, I've learned it from some past endeavors, but it's interesting how cool relationships get built. And I always seem to notice that the best ones consists of people just throwing credit back and forth on each other. I think it's mm -hmm. a really I think it's a really awesome dynamic in a world that especially looks to mm -hmm. try to blame shift or do all these different things. I like the idea of living life by credit shifting instead. You know, it's definitely an honor to to be able to do that for somebody that has had a great impact on, you know, my life, my upcoming marriage, you know, various different things. Mm -hmm. So so yeah, I just wanted to do, talk about that before we got into the book here. Okay. So so the really cool thing, there's a couple things that I noticed in your book that I thought were very fascinating to me. One was how kind of towards the beginning and towards the end, you almost break down this fourth wall, so to speak, where you clearly label like, hey, this is the beginning of this book. And this is towards the end of this book and how the end represents a new beginning. And we'll get to that towards the end. But yeah, it's a... It's kind of a cool thing. The other thing, too, is that I find the book to be very efficient in the sense that mm -hmm. there's not a lot of wasted words in there. You have these chapters divvied out. You know, I think a lot of them were somewhere between six to eight pages a piece, but the length is not so as important as the efficiency of what you're trying to communicate in that length. And I think in a world where we are just go, go, go all the time and pe people appreciate when you get to the point, 
I think it's mm-hmm. something that really speaks to that. So I think that is, I think those are a couple of fascinating features about, about this book. So in writing the book, let me go back to the chapters and, and I appreciate that in writing the chapters, what you want to do is you, you want to write in a way that is efficient, that says what you want to say, but the, the balance is when do you say too much and when do you say too little, right? Mm-hmm. So that's wordsmithing. It's the power of words. And it's really trying to communicate something to people. So the book was written in a way that tried to find that balance between too little, too much. But the idea is that at the end of each chapter, somebody is going to walk away with an idea that is going to be hard to ignore, an idea that will hopefully stick with them, and an idea that they can incorporate fundamentally into their lives and into their thinking and what they do. And so it's it was written with that in mind. And you are correct. In our world today, people want the answers. You know, we live in an instant gratification culture. We want it now. Attention spans are extraordinarily short. But if you if you can hook idea, hook a person on, on a foundational truth that really represents the reality of how life works, that's captivating for people. And they'll stick with that. And you can draw them through that a little bit and give them an idea and flesh that idea out because it's it's a truth that maybe they never thought of or a truth that brightens their day or a truth that gives them hope or a truth that gives them direction, whatever it might be. But people are looking for that. And so those chapters were written with all of that in mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'd say, at least from this reader of the book, that was definitely accomplished, I think. Even I was as I was going through the book, I had asked you questions about how we think in boxes and whatnot, which is a topic we'll we'll definitely get to. But the first thing that I also wanted to talk about is how, as you were breaking down that fourth wall at the beginning of the book, you talk about this element of passion versus conviction. And mm-hmm. it's something that it really set the it really set a certain tone for me reading this book because, you know, people talk about passion all the time. I hear it whatever way, shape or form. It's pretty, it's pretty common for people to say that, you know, in order for me to do this, I have to have the passion for it or things of that nature. But the element that I don't hear about too much is conviction. In talking about passion versus conviction in your book, you talked about how as both are necessary when it came to this particular project for you, it was more of a project of conviction. Um, over passion, whereas maybe some of your other past endeavors had a little bit more of a passion element in them. But in this particular book, it was more of a an endeavor of conviction. The question I'd want to ask is, and we and we've talked about this a little bit, is the kind of how they're both necessary. What would you say is the clear how you would define those two things? Well, I think passion has more of an emotional energy to it. And the odd thing or the maybe interesting thing about this book is most of the books I wrote before this, I had a passion to write them, that emotional energy, that drive, that desire that kind of allows you to push through all the rigors of writing a book. So there's that passion can be a big driver, but it, in my mind, it's more emotionally based. When it came to this book, this is not a book I necessarily wanted to write. The passion piece wasn't there, but the conviction that it needed to be said, that's what drove this one. It didn't have that emotional energy to it. It just had this sense that this was the right thing to do. This is what needed to be spoken into our culture, particularly at this juncture in our culture, and that I had an obligation to put that to words and put that in a book. And so 
I, it, it's not that the book was, it, it probably was, frankly, a little less enjoyable to write because I just felt I was supposed to versus I wanted to. And though I wanted to would be the more passion side of that. And so this was an interesting endeavor in that all that energy and waiting to sit down and, and write these chapters and, and run this through all the editing and all that stuff that really marked all the other books. This was more like I had to push myself through it out of the belief that this was a task I was supposed to complete, particularly this time in American history. And I, I had an obligation to speak these things into the lives of people. And so this, it's, it's, if that kind of explains the difference between conviction and passion, in my mind, they're two very, very different things. And they make the writing of a book a very, very different journey. That is fascinating. So kind of like in short, if I were to understand that passion is the emotional want to, so to speak. And mm -hmm. conviction is more towards a sense of duty. Correct. As you talk about how our society and how our culture tends to be, it is more geared towards triggering emotions and emotional reactions and what have you. So mm -hmm. definitely, you know, people tend to focus a lot more on the emotional elements of things, which you would define as passion, but not so much on the sense of duty of maybe doing something that you may not necessarily want to do, but you have a an obligation, whether it be, you know, moral, financial, whatever the case may be, to, right. to get it out there. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, that's definitely mm -hmm. an interesting way of thinking about it because, you know, speaking for myself personally, I do think about all of the moral obligations, one being, you know, a future family man, a future father like you mm -hmm. have you have moral and financial and a lot of these different types of obligations where every not every day is going to be a walk in the park maybe little jimmy you know broke a television and mm -hmm. uh you're not really feeling uh passionate about your kid at the moment but you have a conviction mm -hmm. to, to you know teach mm -hmm. them lessons do you ever when it came to when it comes to endeavors in general do you think that Based on your answer, I'm with with your book and the journey that you took with your book. I'm not really a hundred percent sure of your answer here, so that's why it's a good question for me. But do you think both passion and conviction are needed for every endeavor? And if not, what type of endeavors do you think get by with with only conviction, so to speak? Well, I think ideally it'd be nice to have both, right? Right. have the conviction I need to do this, but the corresponding passion or the energy that really pushes me to do this and kind of energizes that whole process. So ideally, it'd be nice to have both. Um, I think passion can be a little more fleeting. It's a little more fragile, I think. And in, in a, a bad day, bad state of mind, bad set of circumstances, passion may not hold up quite as much. Conviction is just the core belief that I'm supposed to be to do something that I'm supposed to make this happen. It is not based on, a, on on my passion or my feeling about it. It's just what I'm supposed to do. So if, if I, I, I don't know that if I had to be left with one, I would prefer passion. But I know that conviction will stand all of the trials and all the difficulties and all the struggles. And it will push through in places where passion might not. Right. So if somebody said you had to choose, I'd go with conviction because I know that will push me through to the end of whatever it is I'm supposed to do. Interesting. Okay. No, that's... It's a good thing. I was thinking of an analogy in my head with this. So, so you actually know this and the listeners somewhat know this about me, but with bowling, so to speak, I kind of think about it as comparing two different types of bowling balls. A lot of times what bowlers will have is that they'll have 
performance balls that are meant to, you know, do all the fun curvy stuff and, you know, throw pins around and all that stuff. And then some bowlers, which, like myself, that I have is this, what's known as a plastic spare ball. That thing is just designed to go straight. It's supposed to get those corner pins. And what most people don't really know about bowling is that spares, picking up your spares, is the foundation of a good score. Um, you can strike a lot, but if you don't know how to spare, your score will be heavily limited. And granted, if you spare a lot and don't strike a lot, then it'll also be limited. But I kind of liken the spare ball to conviction, quote unquote, sexy strike ball, so to speak, as the as the passion, because it <laughs> looks really cool and it feels really good. But then mm -hmm. if things don't exactly go the way you want them to, you need something to clean it up. So mm -hmm. didn't think I was going to go into a bowling direction tonight, but here we are. I know that's a great analogy. That's a good word. Thanks for sharing that. I could have had an opportunity to transition this earlier but i'm going to do it now in terms of the next part of it so we were talking earlier about how you know we as a society focus tend to focus more on passion versus conviction and you know i think it's because in a lot of ways we as a society tend to think in boxes as you allude to in your book a lot of the whether it be past experiences whether if it be certain agendas that we have you know all these different elements to how we think in a lot of ways, the vast majority of our society thinks in those terms. And so it really constricts the limit of our thinking, as you were discussing in your book. So I actually think that as you were making this analogy of our thoughts being like boxes packed away in an attic, so to speak, I really think it did lay the foundation for the rest of your book because it seems like the rest of your book was almost an exercise of in one way or another, trying to unpack those boxes. Honestly, the first mm -hmm. time I read that chapter, I kind of had a little bit of a uh, mental breakdown, <laughs> if you will. Because, <laughs> and this is how I knew it was going to be a good book, too. In my opinion, a great self-help book also always involves uh, challenging you mentally in certain ways. Like I said, I always think of myself as an analytical person, but it got me to question, you know, how much thinking I actually really do. Because the chapter literally starts off with, you know, for as much thinking as we think we do, we don't really think much at all. And I was like, oh, what do you mean by that? <laughs> so then you get into it and I'm like, okay, so if I were to encounter, you know, a situation like something as simple as, you know, going to the grocery store and buying some candy, I might make my decision based on what I got the last time I went to the grocery store to buy some candy. So maybe I could have found something better if I had really stopped and thought about a little bit more of what I was wanting at the time versus, you know, going based on what I've had before. Um, I think another popular example yeah. in a simplistic sense is if you go to a restaurant, a lot of people tend to order the same thing over and over again. I'm definitely no different from that. But the whole idea of thinking in boxes and how it really limits our abilities to really solve things in a constructive way or even navigate life in a constructive way a lot of the times it was really eye-opening for me and it was almost mm -hmm. in a way for me almost a uh, throw down of the gauntlet so to speak <laughs> good for you well boxes you know the interesting thing about boxes people think in boxes because they're safe they're comfortable they're familiar <clears throat> boxes are very limited in scope it doesn't take much to learn what's in the box it doesn't take much to learn how to master what's in the box so people for the boxes. I think the issue is not only the box, but the issue is how we construct the box 
And we tend to construct it on what's culturally acceptable, which flies in the face of conviction quite often. But I think we we construct boxes not only based on what's comfortable and familiar, but what's acceptable in the larger culture. So our boxes start looking all the same because we want to have boxes that other people agree with. And then after a while, after all this box building, I don't even think we realize we're in boxes anymore. And I think probably one of the most devastating things is to live in boxes, not even realize you're living in boxes, if that makes sense at all. Because then you have no sense that there's something bigger than the box when there's always something bigger than the box. And so people get caught in these boxes. They get comfortable. They get familiar. Everybody accepts the same boxes. We just get used to it. And we don't even realize we're living in boxes. We think we're thinking outside the box when we don't even recognize we're in the box in the first place. So round and round this goes, which simply means I think we need to be thoughtful in everything we do and assume that what way, the way we're thinking has limitations to it. Understand what those are, but also ask, well, what's outside those limitations? Being willing to step out that outside of that and explore something maybe we haven't considered, maybe something we haven't thought about, maybe something that's scary, but maybe something that's essential to a productive and fulfilling life. I kind of think of the matrix effect when it comes to mm-hmm. comes to that, being stuck in the matrix, mm-hmm. thinking mm-hmm. about it in a way where, you know, as it feeds kind of into kind of another part of your book and talking about habits, the ha- the idea of habits and how people are creatures of habit, so to speak, makes unpacking those boxes really truly a challenge because as you mentioned they may have been boxing up things so long that they don't even realize that they're in boxes Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think the challenge becomes if you one is to realize that you're doing that which in in itself can be difficult and may need a little bit of a divine intervention so to speak um, at least in my case, that mm-hmm. that was definitely the case. But then, too, I think once you realize that, then the challenge becomes how to get out of the habit of packing boxes. Mm-hmm. Because you're used to that for so long that your brain, um, and, I, and I'd heard this before, and I think we discussed it before. It's kind of like a... Uh, a really, really super advanced computer where, you know, it's been taught all this code to where you almost have like this AI feature that's like, okay, this is how I'm going to operate based on all the things that that have been fed into it up to that point. But then all of a sudden, once you give it different code, it's not just going to automatically reverse itself. It takes a lot of time. And it is interesting how in your book, you talk about habit as almost being this double-sided coin, so to speak, where it can... Mm -hmm either get you further boxed in or get yourself to climb out of the box, so to speak. It's, it is interesting how those, those habits do develop. And if you really take the time to look into it, which I'm sure going into your time as a counselor and working with many different people, I'm sure you've probably, obviously I understand, you know, patient confidentiality and whatnot. So I'm not asking you to share any stories, but you probably ran into a lot of places where people have certain habits that they may want to get rid of that takes a lot of time to track where the origins of that comes from in order to switch that programming, so to speak. Yeah, you can you can do a couple of different things with habits. One, you can look at the origin of where that habit came from, and that, that can be helpful. But when it comes to a habit, a lot of times knowing the, the uh, point of origin is not necessarily needed it's just understanding what the pattern is and how do I break the pattern. Mm, so okay. you can look at historical context where that came from. 
I can also just say, look, here's the pattern. How do I break the pattern? So you can do either either thing. So it, it's just a commitment. Well, it's a recognition that I have a habit that is probably, it can be potentially destructive or it might just stall me in life. It, it could do a lot of different things, but it's not productive and it's not putting me on a trajectory to the kind of growth that I can experience. So it's recognizing that I have that habit, then being willing to change the habit, which is can involve discomfort, unfamiliarity, and maybe they can put you at odds with certain people in the culture or certain friends. But am I willing to break the habit to put me on a more productive trajectory, which breaking that habit is now going to probably become a habit, but it's a much more productive, healthy kind of habit, if that makes sense. Habits habits can get you to where you want to go, but they can also keep you from where you want to go. Yeah, and I think it really does uh, emphasize the fact of people being creatures of habit, because no matter where you're going to where you want to go or not, you're probably having a habit of doing one or the other. So that there's always going to be Absolutely. habits. It's just what are you going to choose? Absolutely. And that is kind of the, um, it seems like the next step of getting from packing yourself into boxes to starting to unbox yourself, really open your mind towards expanded thinking and towards ideas that you've not necessarily been exposed to before or exposed to, but maybe thought about in a different perspective. But mm -hmm. What would you say are some of the kind of the most common examples of that that you see as far as what, what do you think is probably some of the largest boxes that people tend to have to unpack or that you think are probably the most important to unpack first? Well, if I were to answer that in terms of, well, boxes, but also habits, I think the boxes that people get stuck in and the habits they get stuck in both, if I can kind of put those two together for a moment, would be low self-esteem and, and a lack of self-concept. In other words, people tend to get in boxes or they, they have habits or ways of thinking about themselves that are typically destructive, negative, and don't represent who they really are. So this this issue of being in this box that I'll never achieve anything or I'm not smart enough, you know, or I don't have the skill set or whatever the case might be. And then living a mediocre life where you settle because the box you're in says you can't get out of this box. You don't have the ability. Same with that. And that can roll over to a habit in the terms where I'm thinking about who I am and what my capabilities are or are not. I think on both sides of that, it's the self-esteem issue, the negative self-talk. And the lies that so many people tell themselves that are diminishing and destructive, those are probably the worst boxes and habits that I see repeatedly in the counseling field that, that really just undermine people's lives um, in, in ways that it's, it's hard to even fathom, but it's just toxic. And uh, people need to really think that through and ask themselves the larger questions of, well, who am I really? And what are my capabilities? Get out of that box and habitually start to see yourself as you truly are. No, there's a lot of truth to that because... You know, speaking from two different types of experiences, one through my own anecdotal experience and another through actual research through reading books and research and what have you, the amount of, I can't remember what the percentage was, but there is a study that went out there talking about, for the average person, what percentage of thoughts of themselves are negative, neutral, or positive, and the amount Oh, yeah. That was negative, I think was like in the 70s at least, percentage wise. And that really blew my mind. And it was something that that I thought about a little harder. I'm like, it made me start to take uh take stock on myself. And I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I I definitely have had a, so many negative thoughts about myself. 
in my past and realized that that was a, you know, a huge thing for myself personally that I'm sure even a lot of the listeners that are listening to this could probably take stock of as well. You know, talking about, you know, certain experiences and whatnot, I think one of the things that I had asked you one day was when we were talking was this, this exercise I was trying to do for myself of thinking about like, if I saw 10 year old Tristan, um, and kind of a good time to think about that exercise again, now that I'm uh, on the precipice of 30, but talking about like, what would 30 year old Tristan say to 10 year old Tristan? And as I was going through that exercise and you were helping me walk through that exercise, I was talking, um, one of the things that we had talked about is needing to understand that intrinsic value is important and that everybody has mm -hmm. intrinsic value. We are not the whole of our accomplishments or, you know, whatever box our society puts us in, what we look like or, you know, the things that we necessarily do, but understanding that the fact that we're here the opportunity that we have to add value not only to ourselves, but other people gives us intrinsic value. I think it definitely speaks to what you were just talking about in terms of not a lot of people not even realizing that. And at the time, not even myself. So it's, uh, it's very mm -hmm. fascinating. But as you as you mentioned, it could either be seen as tragedy or seen as opportunity, a lot of hurting people out there, a lot of opportunity to help. I, I, I think that's why a lot of the things that you do are great because it's designed for um, you to spread that type of mentality. And that's a good type of infestation. If we had a pandemic of uh, positive self-talk, <laughs> I don't think that'd be the worst thing on the planet. No, I don't think you'd want to medicate against that one. Just no. let that one run wild. Yep. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. So to talk about and wrap up the the discussion on the book, so to speak, the other thing that I really liked was when you broke down the fourth wall at the end, you, as we're recording this, like literally the day after Easter, it's kind of a, uh, kind of a cool time to talk about this too, about how the end represents a new beginning and how life in its nature is very mm -hmm. cyclical. Now for us individually, you know, we're born, we live, we have our lives, we end our time here, but then there's a whole nother cycle really in a couple of different ways in my perspective, which is one, well, your perspective is, you know, the earth keeps spinning long before you're here, long after you're gone, life cycles, but then you also have, you know, whatever next is, whatever is next for you beyond death and what have you. And that's more getting into the spiritual realm of things. But that was very fascinating to me too, because for the longest time, one of the most common, one of the biggest fears that I have struggled with in my life, and I think that a lot of people have too, is the idea of death and how there's, from our worldly perspective, there's a certain finality to it. It doesn't really have to be that way if you don't, if you choose not to think about it in that way. So as far as how an end represents beginning, that'd be, that'd be a pretty neat thing to expand upon. Yeah, a number of years ago, I wrote a quote, and the quote says, an ending is only a beginning in disguise. And everything, every ending births a new beginning. If you look at nature, that's what you're going to see. If you, you, Nature, whether on this planet or nature in the cosmos, 
and ending only sets the stage for a beginning and ending creates space for a beginning and ending brings to the table what's needed for a beginning. Uh, so if you look at how all this works, an ending really is only a beginning in disguise. It's just a beginning waiting to happen. And you are correct. I think in our culture, our culture doesn't do well with endings. We certainly do not do well with death. Our culture doesn't do well with that. But there are many endings other than death. And our culture really doesn't do well a lot of times with the concept of endings because there's a finality to it in our cultural mentality versus saying this is a step to something else. This this is an opportunity for a fresh beginning. This creates space for something new. Our culture tends not to do that. We just tend to see an end of something as an end of something, a termination beyond which nothing else happens. And I think we just need to, and, and as you said, this kind of moves over into the spiritual piece, which, you know, there's a whole spiritual dynamic there. But I think there is, there, there needs to be a mentality that we need to grieve the ending. Some endings, we're glad they happened. Some things, we're glad they are done. Yeah. But a lot of things, we grieve the loss of the endings, and we get caught in the grieving, and we don't really have the vision to ask, well, what's next? What is this laying the groundwork for? What opportunities have now been birthed by this ending? So I, I'm not saying we don't grieve our losses. I think we have to. I think that's healthy. But we also have to have an eye toward now, what is the new beginning by virtue of this ending? And I don't think we do that very well as a culture. Yeah, I agree with you. I will say, going back to when the end can be good, uh, did you go to college or university at all? Oh, yeah. After every exam oh, yeah. I took, glad that was over. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of things in life you're glad are over. You're glad an exam is over. You're, you're glad when you get your degree. I mean, there's a lot of things that, look, there are some things that need to be done. They 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 just have a certain span to them, right. and we enjoy them while we have them, what I call a season. And when we walk the season well, whether it's an education or whether it's a job or whether whatever it happens to be, there's something about that end where we enjoyed the journey, but we're glad it's over, right? Yeah. Because absolutely. that part of our life is really done. And we and, celebrate it and we move on to the next step. Yeah. And in the case of a college degree, right, that can open up new opportunities. But it sounds like what you're saying is what a of lot course. of us don't realize, or even as a culture as a whole, is that that happens with other things, too. It's just that in certain Absolutely. contexts, we don't like to think about that. Yes, life has seasons to it. And sometimes we recognize that a season needs to end, like college, for example. Uh, but sometimes we don't want a season to end, even though we recognize it should. Right. And we kind of, it reminds me of going up a staircase where you walk up a few steps and then you decide, I'm going to stay on this step or I want to stay on this step and I don't want to go to the next one because I don't want this season to close. Mm. Well, sometimes we may not want a season to close, but if we're going to go to that next step, we have to give this this season permission to end. And the fact of the matter is probably already ended anyway. We're just refusing to believe that. Right. But this season has to end so we go to the next step. So it's, it's, it's the end is only beginning in disguise. This step is over, but there's always the next one and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that. And that makes for a pretty cool adventure if you're brave enough to take it. Absolutely. And I think that uh, that's kind of a good segue as far as talking about the end of the book. The, the thing that I love was that you pretty much 
implore your readers at the end of it to that's kind of the the lasting thought that's left at the at the end is not to give it away for people but is to really implore that okay the words in this book are reaching its end but now it's a beginning for you to take the knowledge of that and apply it i think that was a great way to end it it was it definitely made me look forward to um talking to you about the book um thinking about how how to unpack some of my own boxes because um lord knows i got plenty mm -hmm. but uh mm -hmm. it was definitely awesome it was an adventure you know i'm not somebody that's very outwardly emotional with a lot of things but that book definitely definitely challenged some of that in in that realm so you know i'm really thankful and i think a lot of other people and a lot of your other readers were thankful that you had the conviction to write all 210 pages of that book and it was wonderful not only to read it but this was kind of a unique opportunity to there's a number of books out there but how often do you get a chance to talk to the source of that book it's it's a very rare opportunity mm -hmm. i appreciate you for mm -hmm. giving me the opportunity to talk about it and to discuss mm -hmm. it with our audience i will definitely have a link to you know where our listeners could purchase it if if they mm -hmm. so choose amazon you've told me is kind of the best route for you <clears throat> yeah amazon barnes and noble it's out on all of those sites so wherever you prefer to direct your listeners direct them there all right sounds good um before we go i'm gonna do a couple of things here one i will mention that uh, i actually ran into your podcast life talk the other day much like your books mm -hmm. very efficient it gives people a lot of good a lot of good going into their brain in a very efficient way. So that's definitely enjoyable. Mm -hmm. The fact that, you know, you've had all these endeavors in your life, you know, between being a counselor, which I think is incredibly valuable in a world that is rife with, you know, mental illness issues. You are someone that leads the charge in the battle, you know, fighting those things um, between that, your light mm -hmm. talk podcast and as I understand, you hosted a um, Christian radio station for a couple of years, being mm -hmm. a youth pastor, like all these things. And maybe at another time we can get into all that stuff. But uh, I definitely think that the cool overarching theme of all of those types of endeavors. And believe me, guys, this is not even close to all the things that this man has done. But the cool overarching theme that I notice is it's all designed to help others and even when we were talking about having you coming on the thing that really sticks out to me is that you wanted to come on with that same design and that was awesome so mm -hmm. i appreciate it well i appreciate the opportunity it's always a privilege to touch people's lives and try to give people something that provides them some direction some hope some meaning and you know we have a we have a world that's uh it's a difficult place to be. There's a lot of adjectives I could use to describe the world where that we're in, and most of those adjectives are negative. And I just appreciate the privilege I have to be here and to speak to your listeners and to all the people, the readers over the years and all that, to really be able to impact their lives. And frankly, I'm not interested in you know in any accolades for that. If if somebody's life has changed, even in the most most marginal kind of way. That's what I'm looking to do, and I'm good. And so I just I appreciate the privilege of doing that here with you through your listeners. So thanks for, for affording me that opportunity. 
Yeah, absolutely. And one more thing before we go, since this is called the Thick and Thin Podcast, we talk about the thicks and the thins of life. This has been a mostly thick type of episode, discussing a lot of deep issues and whatnot, so I'm going to thin it out here for the end for you. Um, what is something that right. is fun for you um, that you do as a hobby or something that you enjoy that a lot of people may not know? Uh, well, there's probably a lot of things, but the one thing I enjoy that I don't get to do too much of is I enjoy fishing. Um, my father uh, was, was quite an avid fisherman, and I can remember many, many times in a, in a boat with him fishing on various lakes and uh, rivers and things of that nature. And th so there's something about fishing that is quiet, it, it's peaceful, and whether you catch something or not is really secondary to the fact that you're out doing something very different in the solitude of nature. It's just it's just a great thing. And, of course, having my dad there do that. So it's something I wish I could do more of. But I think getting out and fishing is just kind of putting yourself in a different space, different world, different mindset, if you will, for a while, which is necessary. And, uh, and allows me to reminisce about the good old times with my dad back in the day. So I think I enjoy that. You know, what's interesting is a lot of the guests that we have on here have liked outdoor activities, ironically enough, but, and I'm, I'm no different based on the you past video mm -hmm. chats that we've had and some of the taxidermy work that has been shown to you. That's mostly mm -hmm. been created through with my dad through the years. Um, mm -hmm. it's, a, mm -hmm. it's kind of a cool thing. Fishing is actually, um, is a fun thing when my brother-in-law and I were discussing what we were going to what I was going to do for my bachelor party before my wedding. Honestly, I might just get a cabin, do a weekend fishing thing, just have fun and get out in the country, get out in nature, get to that peaceful state of mind, as you were mentioning. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, there's definitely a certain charm to it for people that don't really like the outdoors. I feel like they're missing out. I think there's an element of this world that we live on that is absolutely incredible, especially for people that are in, States like or parts of the world like here in Colorado, there is a lot of places to go to and a lot of breathtaking nature. And you don't necessarily have to hunt or fish, but like go hiking, go camping, and you can mm -hmm. see all these things. Places like Colorado, it's uh, that's why I love it here. I think that's why a lot of people love it here. But it's definitely awesome. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Do you uh, do you have a favorite lake that you like to fish at? No, I do not. I don't have a favorite place. I just have favorite people I like to do it with, which is fundamentally my kids. Definitely a great answer. Definitely uh, beats. Mm -hmm. It's kind of traveling as a whole. It's probably the one piece of advice. If if I had good advice to give for traveling, that's probably the one. It's the who you go with is more important than where you go. Yeah, my, my co-host and I, that's actually how him and I bonded quite a bit was through traveling to different, you know, places to business conventions, not overly exciting places, so to speak, like Evansville, Indiana. It's not exactly the definition of scenic out there, but the bonding that him and I got to have during those experiences made those mm -hmm. trips way more fun. Mm -hmm. I uh, would like to thank you for coming on. And I really hope that our audience got a lot out of this conversation and Hopefully they can use that conversation to help better themselves or their own lives in, you know, whatever way they seek out to do that. Absolutely. Thanks for the privilege of doing it. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one, Craig. Likewise, you too. 
Hey guys, I just want to thank you for listening to our interview with Craig. Um, One thing I do want you guys to know is when I asked Craig to do this interview, he had pretty much just said that the reason that he wanted to do the interview was to help and provide value to other people. And for me, that spoke volumes. Craig is someone who, um, as you guys can tell, is a very wonderful person who does what he can to help the community and with chris back with me now obviously since you have not yet listened to this at the time of the recording i'm not sure how much input you can give but um, like i said he's going to listen to it with the rest of you guys the last important thing that i want to note is all of craig's social media and website links are in the description. There should be a link to his Instagram, his Life Talk podcast, amongst other things. There is a link on where to buy his book, In the Footsteps of the Few, if you want to give it a read. It's definitely a book that, you know, if you want to start unpacking some of those boxes, it will give you direction on how to do that. So, anyways, I appreciate you guys for listening to Craig, his story, his insight, and yeah, without knowing anything, do you have anything else to say before we peel off for this episode? No, man, I gotta hear it first. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, guys, well, we will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Howdy, beautiful listeners. We here at Thick and Thin don't take ourselves too seriously, so please enjoy these beautiful outtakes, and hopefully they make your day. Is that a writing style? Yeah, yeah, writing. Sorry, go ahead. Um, is no, it a yeah, writing? In writing. The... Okay, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me give that to you. <laughs>